0: Person in the street and ask them what they think is the greatest decade in music history. You'll likely get your ass beat. If they do take the time to respond, they will tell you the best decade in music history is whatever decade in which they came of age. For formative years are the years in which we bond and have an emotional connection to the music we listen to more than any others. I'm speaking, of course, of our teenage years. Years in which we graduate high school, go to college, and begin our first job. The one constant through all this change is the music we listen to, and we always will carry this music in our hearts, our minds, and our souls. What's my favorite decade of music, you ask? Well, it's the 1990s, of course. And on this episode, my friend Chase Abner joins me in ranking our five favorite alternative albums from the 1990s. So lace up your Doc Martens, button up your flannel shirt, and get out that old hacky sack. This is That One Show. Season 2, Episode 18, Top 5 1990s Alternative Albums. combs today i have making his second appearance on the show chase abner chase how are you today i'm doing great i'm
1: doing great man thanks for having me
0: i'm very much been looking forward to this one we've kind of been discussing doing this episode for a few months now actually and and we are going to be ranking our five favorite 1990s alternative albums And I want to get one thing out of the way first. We're not ranking just grunge albums. It's any alternative album from the 1990s. So obviously, we very well may have one or more grunge albums on this list, but that's not exclusively what we are doing. So my first question to you is, Chase, where were you in the 1990s? Oh, man, you know where I was. I was... (laughs) <laughs>
1: living the dream in uh breath of the county kentucky um yeah yeah that's where i grew up of course that's how we know each other through school um you know most people know you brian now as brian combs of tmz live fame. well i don't know about that <laughs> <laughs> but i i know you as the 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 guy and i had every class with when i was in seventh grade at sebastian I, middle
0: school so yep and uh, nothing's ever been the same since uh mostly for the better to be honest uh yes sir yes sir uh i guess our friendship dates back well over 25 years now uh we're getting old yeah
1: we are you are
0: (laughs) uh but no one wants to hear two middle-aged guys go on about how they're getting old so we'll go ahead (laughs) and start talking about here is talking about 90s rock yeah (laughs) we'll go ahead and start talking about music now I'm of the opinion when you ask anybody, hey, what do you think the best era of music was, they're going to say whatever uh, the era was in which they basically grew up as teens and young adults uh, 99% of the time. Because that's really when most people, including myself, fall in love with music and start discovering music and not just hearing most of of what, you know, their parents may be listening to. Uh, So obviously I have a deep fondness for all music in the 1990s, particular alternative music, because that was the majority of my listening then. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way, correct?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. For I would say for the most part. And I think one of the interesting things for me, Brian, is now uh, I even have a warm feeling when I hear 90s music that I hated in the 90s. When it comes on the radio, I still feel a little warm. Like, you know, smash mouth, it just hits me. Uh,
0: <laughs> it's well it feels. I agree with that to an extent. Now, I've never felt a fondness for Smash Mouth, but there are certain 90s bands that, due to my snobbery at the time, I didn't really even give a chance that I actually have went back and listened to and like Now. A perfect example of that is Third Eye Blind. I, I thought they were just trash in high school, but they're actually not. They were good, in my opinion.
1: De- I'm the same with you. Their debut album, yeah. it's one that... Uh, uh, surprised me for sure and spoiler alert Smash Mouth is not on my top five alternative list and uh, I do not uh, find their music objectively good but when I when I hear it it kind of transports me back to that time and well it, yeah I mean it's, a... maybe it's the fun of just you know <laughs> I remember making fun of them with my friends and then that makes me happy and so I don't mind hearing the songs
0: <laughs> well it's a melody connected to a memory and it yeah. may be a bad melody connected to a good memory there you go uh, they don't have to both oh. be necessarily good or great uh one thing we discussed you know leading up to the recording of this episode is how if we did this say like on january 1st 2000 how much different our list would be Because we just we just touched on that uh, on how we've actually went back and finally given a chance to music that we didn't you know in our middle or high school uh years and that we actually liked and i i regret you know, not expanding my horizons at the time, to be quite honest with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I would say I regret it. I, I think for me, it's just season of life and experiences make you open to different things and it's just a natural progression. And so I see that as a good thing, Brian, that that shows both of both of us have been open people who were, who were willing to evolve and have your taste change over time. And so, but you know, with that said, like as my taste grew and changed over time, and I, I went back to make this list, I actually, like, I, it was weird for me to pass over some of the albums that were so dear to me back then. Uh, but I had to recognize that over over the last 20 years, those albums have stayed on the proverbial shelf for me, for the most part. And even though I cared about them a lot then, I just haven't reached for them often in the last 20 years. And so... Uh, you helped me, you know, as we discussed this this challenge of making this list uh, by saying, "I just had to be honest about what have I listened to the most, you know." That I is... may have loved those albums so much in 1998 uh, or whenever, um, but I just had to go with ones that I listened to more often, say, uh, you know, over the last 20 years, and so
0: for the most part, I did the same thing, and I did make a rule that I would not have more than one album by a given artists just for the fact that we're doing five only and not 10. Uh, so, you know, it was not only difficult for me selecting my five albums, but there were a couple artists that I very well could have listed multiple albums by. And I knew I, I had to include those artists and just choosing that one album to represent them was pretty difficult for me too. Yeah.
1: yeah and we'll see in my top pick, there were, there were two albums that very easily could have gone, on my list but i did not yeah know.
0: for my second pick there were two for my number one they were five <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh do you have anything else you want to uh mention before we actually get into naming our albums and, t- and discussing those in depth
1: no nah, man i think uh i think i'm ready to go
0: okay so we'll take a very brief break Uh, It'll be pretty much the last break, the only commercial break of the show, and we'll get into it, and I will let Chase, when we come back from break, kick us off with his fifth favorite 90s alternative album. And we are back. Uh, I am with my long... And one of my best friends, uh, like we just mentioned, we go back well over 25 years now. We're talking about something we both love, and that is 90s alternative music. Specifically, we are picking our five favorite alternative albums from the 1990s. Chase, I will give you the honor of kicking us off. What is your pick at number five?
1: Well, true to form, uh, as we have already spoken, uh, this is an album that was not on my radar in the 1990s, uh, probably due to musical snobbery. I didn't give it much of a, a shot. And quite honestly, I didn't hear a lot of it on the radio. And uh, I didn't have MTV until probably late 1998. And so there's a lot of stuff I just wasn't exposed to. Um, so yeah, not a band I listened to in the 90s, but this is an album that I've listened to a ton in the last last decade or so at least and that is weezer's uh self-titled album also known as the blue album the album released on may 10th 1994 on dgc records and uh yeah that's my pick for my fifth favorite 90s alternative album
0: so uh you you just mentioned that you kind of discovered this album a little later what made you uh, fall in love with this album enough to include it in your top five here?
1: That's a great question. I think it was probably with the advent of streaming services and just the, you know, things like Pandora or, you know, just um, software generated playlists, like the the songs just started coming up and into my radar because of that. And I liked them, you know, really, I just, I, I, I liked what I heard. And so, I was like, you know, I need to give that whole album a shot and went back and, um, you know, front to back, this is an album that I can listen to and not have a single moment that I am bored, (laughs) not have a single moment that I'm there's not some kind of a musical or lyrical intrigue in the songs. And uh, even though some of the songs are very. I would say self-deprecating and have a, a degree of depression <laughs> uh, underlying the, the the lyrics. It's just it's just really easy to listen to, and I, I just feel great when I listen to it.
0: Uh Well, not to give anything away, but I'll give a a lot more thought on this album a little later. I will say I agree with you that yeah, there is some uh, depressing songs on there, but they're all masked in a happy melody. So uh, if you're not actually listening to the words, you can just, you know, uh, get up and dance to this album. And I'll say this, it was really different than anything at the time, given the fact that Weezer came out, if not at the peak of grunge, but right after, uh, early 90s, 94, like you said. And here they were singing about playing Dungeons and Dragons and reading comic books and surfing and uh, they even mentioned choo-choo trains in the title track or in the opening track. <laughs> <laughs> so it was really different, uh, but it is alternative. It, it, and it most definitely will be on my list as well, but we'll get to that in a moment. Do you have any other thoughts on Weezer's self-titled blue album before I give my pick at number five?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, with Weezer, it's their ability to not take themselves seriously that has given them the staying power that they've had. And this, this album is a good example of that. So there's very sincere lyrics, but there's also a willingness to be self deprecatory. And uh, you see that even in the music videos and um, yeah. And I've said, said this to you before, Brian, I think what I realized as after I tried to dive further in the Weezer catalog, I must admit I'm not a Weezer fan per se, but I am totally a blue album fan. And uh, I, I've not got into the other albums from, from them. Uh, anywhere close to what I've experienced with the Blue album, but it's it's top five,
0: top five yeah. me,
1: number five on my list.
0: You, uh, before I get my pick at number five, I want to touch on something you just said. And Weezer have you know almost thirty years now. Uh, they've been releasing music and they still tour, uh, still sell well uh, as far as ticket sales and albums. And you mentioned that's because they don't take themselves too seriously. They don't, with one exception, and that was their follow up to this album. Pinkerton, which is really dark, really depressing. Uh, unlike any other album they've ever released, it was panned at the time as one of the worst albums of the year. It nearly broke them up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Rivers Cuomo, the lead, actually gave up music for a while and attended Harvard. Uh, and they've never made another album like that since. Uh, most everything since then has been in the vein of the Blue Album, which is more of a of a poppy sound, uh, mm-hmm. pop rock. And uh, I had to mention Pinkerton just a little bit because it it is an album I love dearly, but not one that I have ranked today. Uh, Great pick at number five. Uh, I'll get right into my pick. My fifth favorite alternative album from the 1990s is chronologically wise, the the last album released that decade that I will be picking. It was released on June 8th, 1999, probably like a week after we graduated high school. And that is Californication by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And uh I struggled. I really wanted to include the chili peppers. Obviously, it's either going to be this or blood sugar sex magic. But there's a couple of songs on there that I can't really go back and listen to as an adult. <laughs> Maybe Sir Psycho Sexy, which I loved in high school, which any juvenile man would, would probably love. But I've as I've grown <laughs> I've realized how problematic that song may be. But getting back into Californication, it was a return of John uh Frishanti, the guitarist, who actually hadn't been with the band since Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Uh about seven years, obviously produced by Rick Rubin, who has produced many other albums. We actually, I think this was the first concert we ever attended together, was this tour, correct? Uh yeah.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, we saw him at Riverbend. Yes, uh, near the end of the California Cation tour, I believe.
0: Yes. Yeah. And uh, Stone Temple Pilots opened, uh, and actually Fishbone kicked off the show. And uh,
1: I've heard, I've heard it said that Fishbone is the greatest.
0: You know, uh, and that was
1: <laughs> that was by the lead singer of Fishbone during well, that set.
0: <laughs> he self-proclaimed that they were the greatest, and. I have been out on uh, several hundred concerts, and that is the first and only time that I've actually went and purchased earplugs mid-set to try to drown out the noise that I was hearing.
1: <laughs> yeah, you and me both, we walked out together to get to get uh, earplugs, and my logic was I don't want my hearing to be destroyed before the, the good bands came on. Absolutely. No offense, no offense to Fishbone fans.
0: And um, I, I love this album. It's an album that I listen to. You know, I think the lead single was Scar Tissue. Am I correct in that? Yep. Immediately fell in love with that one. Uh, some other songs, obviously, uh, Parallel Universe, uh, Other Side, the title track. Uh, another one I really like, which is uh, probably, a, you know, a deeper cut, Road Tripping. And, uh, you know, it if was I. released
1: had... as a single, actually yeah
0: very, I, it, very late very yeah. late in that cycle they released oh. that one as a single and uh i would say this is probably still my favorite chili peppers album to this day uh i really think that john freshante he brings a chemistry to the band that the other guitarists they've had that are all good in their own right it just didn't mix with you know the other members of the band like he did uh what are your thoughts on this album do you have,
1: uh, well, you, you know, I care very deeply for this album and you'll just have to wait and see whether or not it appears on, my <laughs> list. uh, later on. I'm not going to give any indication there. Uh, yeah, I, I love this album a lot when I, when I listen to it, I'm immediately transported to that summer post, post high school, fresh yeah. out of high school, um, you know, wide-eyed, ready to take on the world, uh, you know, a little sad about what I was leaving behind, but excited for, for all that lay ahead. Yep. of me and so uh, still to this day 20 plus years later when I when I hear it I feel the warmth of summer uh, I feel that that youthful zeal and opportunity and uh, and I think of the concerts that I saw I actually saw them twice on that tour so the first time with uh, my younger brother and sister and some of my best friends and we saw them with the Foo Fighters at Rupp Arena there in Lexington, Kentucky and so I just have a lot, a lot of good memories uh, associated with that album. And uh, like you, I enjoy a lot of the songs on there. So it's, it's more than the nostalgia for me. It's just, uh, it's a picture of the band, who they are at their best, I would say.
0: Yeah. And there's no doubt that this was the album of that summer for me. I mean, like I just said, it literally was released within just a few days of our high school graduation. And I got a quick story about the lead up to that concert. You know, I drove my parents' van, I think. well, there's six of us that went or seven? Uh, I think it was seven. Yeah. So, you know, this is pre-really internet. So you couldn't just pull up music and uh, in, uh, in videos for your parents to see. And so I said, hey, mom, can I borrow the van to take like five or six people to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers? My mom had never heard of them. She said, "Well, I got to see and hear what these guys look like and sound like. So obviously, you know, I had to be selective of what I showed her or let her listen to. <laughs> yep. Yep. So I ended up showing her the Californication video just for the fact that it looked like a video game. <laughs> I thought that was probably the safest bet, or else maybe I wouldn't have got to go. And and you know, at age eighteen, drive seven Hoolands, three hours to Cincinnati to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers."
1: <laughs> yep yep it's amazing you got a pass because the song had the word fornication occasion in it man uh yeah.
0: and you know it was still one
1: of the safer songs that
0: i could pick from <laughs> to be honest with you <laughs> yeah good thing
1: she didn't see the tube socks
0: <laughs> i wasn't gonna show her that i definitely <laughs> weren't gonna let her listen to sir psycho sexy yeah <laughs> we probably wouldn't well, have made it in past the uh, garden of eden part. yeah oh <laughs> man yeah
1: well great pick man i, I love it good one.
0: All right, so we'll move on and we'll kind of take turns leading off the picks. I'll lead us off at number four. Uh, I'll get straight into it. It is Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette, an album that I not necessarily listened to a lot in high school, but I did listen to. And I've grown to appreciate it more and more over the years. Obviously, it's uh, one of the biggest albums of the decade. It sold 26 million copies as of as of 2021. And Alanis Morissette won album of a year at the Grammys for this when she was only 21. So that means she actually produced, recorded, and wrote this when she was 20. That's crazy, man. That, that's not right. No. I, I think back of what I was had accomplished when I was 20. Mm. <laughs> and it was probably just talking to my mom and dad to let me drive seven hoodlums to see the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, this album, I mean like you mentioned with the Weezer album, it's one that you can put on and listen to all the way through. Uh, this album is absolutely that for me. Uh, so many great songs. All I really want. You ought to know, hand in my pocket. Ironic it goes on and on. There's not a miss song or miss note on this album. And, uh, this is one that my sister actually introduced me to. Uh, and I didn't want to like it at the time just because when you're like 13 or 14, you don't want to like what your older sister likes. Mm-hmm. But, for but you know, despite myself, I did enjoy it. I just didn't let her know that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's one that my wife, Dixie, really loves. And that was probably the first time when we were dating, I really actually listened to the album and realized, man, that is an absolutely great album. And, uh, that's pretty much all I've got to say about Jackie Little Peel. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if you've got it ranked right because you're not tipping your cards at all. But do you have anything that you want to say about it before you get into your fourth pick?
1: I I just love that that this is one of your picks. Um, I I must admit I've not ever sat down and listened to it front to back. But just as you're listening, listening off the singles and uh, um, realizing just how great those songs were and just the staying power they had you know very similar to Californication in the sense that those singles are still played on the radio fairly regularly today showing that they've connected with uh, not just the generation in which they were received but those uh, that followed as well and I think that speaks well to Atlantis Morissette's writing and the production that went into that album so uh, you've convinced me I need to go back and give that one a, a shot and spend some time with it
0: so let's get into your pick at number four
1: all right hey i'll say that this pick is probably the most unlikely album on my list considering what my tastes and opinions were in the 90s so if you'd asked me in the 90s i would have told you that this band's hit song uh was a played out also ran in the lineup of slacker anthems of that era uh and then once my family got MTV in 1998, I found their songs to be kind of snoozy and I found their music videos to be pretentious and I just was not a fan. And yet here in 2022, I am waving the flag for Radiohead and hereby declare The Bends to be my fourth favorite 90s alternative album.
0: All um, right.
1: This album is the... Uh, their sophomore release, it followed up uh, Pablo Honey, uh, which was powered by their most overplayed song, Creep. Uh, I still don't love that song, to be honest, but uh, I've come around on Radiohead. Uh, the Benz was released March 13th of 1995 on Parlophone Records. Brian, that would have been uh, the, the spring semester of our eighth grade year there, so we'd known each other about a year and a half, I guess, when this album came out. Um, And it's not one that I ever listened to one bit. I honestly don't even remember hearing singles from that album um, during that time, but, but surprise, you know, it's here now in my consciousness and it's an album I reach for very, very often and uh, think to be uh, just full of bangers.
0: So. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, um, I never listened to. Radiohead at all other than probably Creep because it was the one song off their debut that really got airplay on the radio until I got to college. And, uh, and you know, I, I used to go to a music store there in Moorhead where you and I both went to school called Main Street Music, and that guy slipped me a copy of Kid A, and it was wild, and I liked it enough to where I started going back and listening to their previous stuff, and i agree with you i don't have this album in my top five but it is my favorite radio album. Yeah. uh i really like it and i mentioned earlier that i regret not listening to this, some of this stuff in high school but i'll be honest i don't know had i listened to this you know at age 14 or 15 if i would have liked it then yeah no i'm i
1: i definitely uh say that that's that's true for me as well brian and um I think you and I are kind of a rare exception for Radiohead fans who would call the Benz their favorite album. Most people pick Kid A or something lighter, later than that. Okay, Computer, maybe? Maybe. Uh, but uh, yeah, and for me, my relationship with Radiohead actually changed when they released In Rainbows. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, but they were one of the first bands to ever do a pay-what-you-want release model. Uh, for that album and that was in October of 2007 when they did that recorded said hey we're releasing kind of a surprise release we're releasing our next album in 2000 or like in in next week and it's a go to the website pay what you want download the mp3 was kind of how they approached that and it later got a physical release of course but uh so I I downloaded and i don't even remember what i paid but it wouldn't have been much because again i wasn't a fan i was just more intrigued by the the way that they released it in rainbows and so i downloaded it and then uh, uh that album convinced me that i'd been wrong about radiohead and that i needed to to listen to more and so as i started crawling through their uh their catalog and i got to the album the bends and um it, it's just the it just sounds so nineties. Uh, that's one thing I say about it. Like it, it, just sounds like the nineties to me. The the production and all that, and and you know, didn't know how influential the production was. But bands like the Cure and Coldplay both tried to recreate a lot of the the sounds uh, on that album uh, in their latter releases. And um,
0: well, I I do enjoy Coldplay's first probably three albums, but they've always been the equate radio head. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I mean, let's they're, just be honest not Yeah, not they, radio they uh, are the yeah. store brand radio heads
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is a very respectable comparison uh, I support it um, yeah and this album it's it's got some pretty heavy stuff certainly heavy themes it's got some heavy guitar parts but it's also full of a lot of ballads and a lot of acoustic guitar um, and I think that's part of why I enjoy it so much it, it just provides a really great um, platform for for Tom York to do what he does best, and that's to write very uh, mysterious lyrics and to 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 sing. And so, um, I listen to this album often. As you know, Brian, I play in a '90s alternative and grunge cover band, and we do two Radiohead songs, and they're both from this album. We do uh, the Bends and we do Just uh, from this album, and they're a lot of fun to play. And learning to play the songs has given me even deeper appreciation for. Just how intricate these songs are, and uh, you know, as I've read about this album, you, you can see a stark difference between what they did on Pablo Honey and what you hear on Creep, which is just this kind of wall of guitar sound, three guitars playing in unison. Um, and then on on the bends, you have songs where there's three guitars and they're all doing very different things at the same time. That just creates such an elaborate texture that their songs just uh, you can hear something new. Every time you listen to them. And so that's why I picked The Bends to be my top or my fourth favorite 90s alternative album.
0: And that is a great pick. I'm glad we got to discuss Radiohead and specifically The Bends. You just mentioned that you were in a band, but let's be honest, you're in like a thousand bands. I mean don't 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 sell yourself short here.
1: Uh I'm only in four at the moment. <laughs> only four.
0: Only in four.
1: I'm afraid of commitments, you know.
0: <laughs> so I've I know I mentioned a few minutes ago that we'd only take one break. However, I got a technical issue that I'm gonna have to work out. Now the break for the listeners will only be maybe ten seconds, but I've got to pause real quick to take care of that. And we will come straight back. And it's a matter of seconds for our listeners to get into our three favorite alternative albums from the 1990s. And we are back and it is Chase's turn uh, to name his third favorite 90s alternative rock album. Take it away, Chase.
1: All right, Brian. The hit single from this album has some of the most distinctive opening chords of any song from the 1990s. I mean, you hear it and you, you are, you know what it is. Uh, it's a very bare electric guitar, uh, probably a Les Paul, no effects, uh just really, really just kind of raw and out there it plays a minor heavy four chord pattern. And then on the fourth measure, Adam Duritz cannonballs in with this
0: sha la 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 la
1: and you already know what this is right you already know what it is absolutely ladies and gentlemen i'm talking about the song mr jones and my next pick my number three favorite alternative album of the 1990s is august and everything after by the counting crows
0: fantastic uh when i put out on social media uh that we were doing this topic and asked for others to chime in on what they hoped we would pick this was a popular popular pick yeah
1: yeah, and you know, I saw that in the feed, and I was kind of surprised because some would argue it's not—it's not that alternative. You know, they'd say it's a little bit more folk or americana. But quite honestly, americana wasn't even a, a named genre really <laughs> at the time that this album wow. was released. But uh, it was released on September, September fourteenth, nineteen ninety-three, on Geffen Records. And if I'm not mistaken, Brian, I think my exposure to this album came because my older brother got this as a selection through BMG's classic uh, CD club. I don't know if it's one he picked, you know, because if you didn't send your choices in, they would just send you whatever they wanted to send you. Um, and uh, so anyway, it showed up in our house, uh, in our bedroom, which I shared with my two brothers. And uh, it totally just reminds me of that season of my life uh, in the mid to late nineties when uh, I'm becoming uh, musically conscious. Conscious, if you will, and paying attention. And so it's very connected for me to that season of my life. But it's it's a collection of songs that have stayed with me and been a part of my life for every uh, season since. And so I really love it. Um, It's it's a acoustic heavy album. uh, In spite of that lead single hit single being uh driven by the electric guitar uh it's got accordions on it and uh, other instrumentation that kind of makes it stand out in a lot of ways among the alternative rock
0: uh fair of the 1990s oh it's it's a great album man and it's one that barely barely did not make my list you and i have agonized over this list uh personally i started i think with around 20 contenders and just started little by little whittling it down i got the five and this one had we ranked our 10 favorite definitely would have been on my list but it quite didn't make the top five but i'm glad you picked it so we could talk about it uh and uh do you have anything you want to add about it before we move on yeah
1: so i yeah i I just learned you know this showed you how little I, i knew about some of these albums before i was preparing my list for this this podcast um, I just learned it was produced by T-Bone Burnett, who, of course, is the yep. same producer has done so much incredible yep. work and and it, been a part of exposing and reigniting, really, the the Falcon Americana explosion that came on the hills of uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, which is mm-hmm. a, a soundtrack that he produced, and so he's, he's so critical in so many ways to a lot of the music that I, I listen to and favor now, and even the type of music I try to make on my own, but if i've often said brian that this was my favorite album with the worst production i i feel like there's just it's underserved i feel like the drums don't sound great um and and stuff isn't as crisp as i would hope it would be and so which is really hard for me to say because of how much i admire t-bone burnett and his other work but all that to say is i think it just speaks to how uh effective the songs are how meaningful they are and uh the fact that they can shine through even if it's not uh, the most uh, expertly recorded and produced album that's out there.
0: Yeah. Uh, You mentioned that you just learned that T-Bone produced this album. And I actually learned that a month or two ago, I was interviewing my buddy Justin Wells for the show. And he said that this was likely his favorite album of all time, which which shocked me. And then uh, he went on to talk about it and how T-Bone produced it. And I didn't know that he he was the producer until Justin told me that uh a month or two ago and i'd be remiss if i didn't mention that he also produced an album called raisin sand mm. by uh <laughs> by of all people robert plant and allison krauss which yeah. is one of my favorite albums of all time but that's a, another subject for another episode
1: that's for another episode because yeah. i'm with
0: you on that <laughs> yes so i will get in I, well actually before i get into my number three i want to take a, a really quick kind of funny story about this album so uh, a few years back, back when we still listened to music on iPods and not iPhones, I had one of the little uh, iPod shuffles. It was kind of shaped like a pack of gum. Mm-hmm. that held maybe like a hundred songs, and I had a playlist of like thirty songs specified for when I ran in five Ks. And this song always kick that off, but I was running in a 5k one time and it malfunctioned to where this song just literally repeated the entire race. So, <laughs> it, I think actually at the time I, I, I broke my personal best time in a 5k, mainly out of anger that my iPod was tearing up. Uh, was but Mr. I, Jones? What, yeah, Mr. Jones, yeah, it was Mr. Jones. <laughs> yeah, it was Mr. Jones. Yeah.
1: What man. And, and honestly, I'd almost say Mr. Jones is one of my least favorite songs on the album. And I don't know if it's just because I'm tired of hearing it because it's still, yeah, no, it's another one of those that just gets played, yep, still nonstop to this day. Uh, and uh, I, but I wanted to mention a couple of the other songs on the album Omaha, which is the second, mm. second yes. song on that. It is in my head often because now I, you know, I live in the Midwest and just a few hours from Omaha. So I often see Omaha on the interstate signs, you know, this yep. I, IED West of Omaha. Uh, I'm heading there in a couple of weeks with one of my bands. We're going to go watch Dave Matthews play Uh, looking forward to that. But, but Omaha is a song that I I hear and it's just in my head a lot because of where I live. Uh, But here's some lyrics uh, that I wanted to read from, from the song time and time again, uh, that I think are just some of the best on the album. Uh, He says, I wanted to see you walking backwards and get the sensation of you coming home. I wanted to see you walking away from me without the sensation you're leaving me alone. Yeah that's just, that's uh, oh man I'm, yes uh, yes uh, for any of us who've experienced heartbreak in a relationship you know you can you can relate to that and know that it's a it's a meaningful meaningful thing a meaningful way he put that and uh and, and very relatable we've all been there at some point in our life in some way I'm sure so lots of nuggets lots of treasures like that I wonder um, if he wrote that about
0: Jennifer Aniston <laughs>
1: maybe, maybe. <laughs>
0: Uh, great pick there at at number three uh with counting crows chase uh you're building a fantastic list so far i'm gonna hop into my third pick now at number three i have released on may 20th 1997 the second studio album by the foo fighters the color and shape Mm -hmm. and to me this is still the foo fighters masterpiece it was such a huge step forward from the debut album, which is good, but it's one that Dave Grohl pretty much is made by himself uh, as a project. I think, you know, to keep doing music after Cobain died, uh, kind of therapeutic for him if you read his uh, biography that he released. And this is when the Foo Fighters become an actual band uh, with this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, their lead single was Mucky Wrench. Uh some other great uh, songs on this album, obviously, Everlong, uh, Up in Arms, My Hero, February Stars. This is, if you made her pick, probably Dixie's favorite album of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Through Osmosis it's become one of mine. And uh, real quick anecdote before we discuss the music. The title, when I was researching a little bit about the recording release of this, it came because their manager at the time when they were recording this, during the breaks in the studio instead of going and eating he would go rummaging through like old like what we call here in breather county hope shops but like goodwills and salvation armies and just buying random stuff and he uh brought in an old beat-up bowling pin from a bowling alley that he bought and they asked him why he wanted that piece of trash and he said he liked the color and shape of it and that ended up becoming the title for the album uh and I know you saw the Foo Fighters live a couple times. You mentioned earlier that you saw them with the Chili Peppers back uh, in 1999 at Rupp Arena. I, it's not necessarily the best concert I've ever been to, but if it makes sense, it's my favorite concert experience. Back when I was young and could stand all day, uh, we bought general admission tickets to see the Foo Fighters. Dixie and I did when we were in college. We were the third and fourth people in line at 8 a.m. And we got front row center in front of Dave Grohl. Uh, I was able to score a set list and a drumstick after the show. Uh, and it's just one of not just the greatest concerts, but one of those days that I think about as a whole day and experience often and probably will. And while I still have my faculties and about me and can remember things that I experienced in the past.
1: Oh man, I, I, I love this album as well. And honestly, if I, if I was building a, a top, a top 20, it would be in that list. It was on my short list. Um, you know, just because of how much I care about this band and how much they've been with me, you know, over the years. And I think for a long time, if you would have asked me that I would have said this was their best album. And, uh, it's because of just how fun the songs are, how, how much they stand out in the pantheon of nineties rock. And and again, how well they perform live. Um, Oh yeah. My first time, my first time seeing them was actually in 2000, not 99. I uh, saw their rep arena and, uh, and they did a lot of songs from this album, of course, because at that, at that time they'd only released three albums, I think when I, when I had seen them. So it was very color in the shape, heavy set list. And, uh, um, you know songs like Monkey Wrench, My Hero, Everlong. That they're just man, they're just absolute bangers. And I think it's worth noting that in in the recent uh, Taylor Hawkins Taylor Hawkins tribute concerts uh, led by Dave Grohl, that he closed those sh- shows with Everlong um, because it's just such a meaningful song for so many
0: people. And, yeah, and I think Taylor's uh, which song did Taylor son joined the band on those tribute concerts
1: uh in the uk when they did it at wembley he joined them on my hero but i think yes. he joined them on my hero in another song when they did the show in yeah. LA.
0: yeah i'm not gonna lie man i cried when i saw that video yeah uh the, the part that got me was when dave turned around and saw him drumming the look of pride on his face that you could tell like somebody that was almost proud of their own son yeah and uh i mentioned earlier that i had read you know dave's autobiography and he writes extensively in that on his relationship with taylor and how they were more like brothers and bandmates and so i know how much you know it has to hurt him to lose taylor Mm -hmm. but you could almost see dave healing a bit when he turned around and saw taylor's son drumming on a song that taylor had drummed on countless times And I'm got, i getting choked up right now thinking about it, man. So we need to move on. (laughs) You you texted me earlier and told me to to, uh, reel you in if you started crying, and here I am, the first one crying.
1: (laughs) Uh. So
0: uh, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and straight into my number two album, which is No Surprise, the Blue Album by Weezer, that you ranked at number five. I struggled between this and Pinkerton. I knew I had to include Weezer on here. And the reason why I included this is because it is an album that makes me happy. And wouldn't you know it, uh, it's an album that I'm talking about right after I was crying. (laughs) So, and that was not planned at all. So this is an album that I can just put on twenty-eight years after it was released, man. Play it all the way through, sing along to every single word, and just be happy. And there's a lot and let's be honest, there was not a lot of happy music in the, especially in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. Everything was angst ridden, uh, dark, not just lyrically but sonically. Uh and this one stands out for me because of that. And like I mentioned earlier, I mean, here you got a band of pretty much geeks singing about, listening to kiss, playing Dungeons and Dragons, reading comic books, surfing, and just the mundane part of any young adult or teenager, uh, just the everyday life of what you're doing. And it's to me it's a masterpiece man and I actually this is the second time i've had this album on my show i ranked it my top 10 debut albums of all time Uh fairly high when i did that show over the summer uh it's an album i never get tired of talking about or listening to i know you gave your thoughts on it earlier so we won't rehash those but it's uh, an album that i'll probably listen to from here on out and it's one that particularly reminds me of my really good friend john thompson and he and i at one time or another are going to do a top 10 Weezer songs podcast together. And I, I will venture to say that this album will have a bunch of songs on both mine and his list. When we get around to that, mm-hmm. uh, you talked earlier about this album before we move on to our number two pick for you. Do you have anything you want to add to it?
1: I, I was just saying, if you had me on to discuss my, uh, top 10 favorite Weezer songs, it would just be this album, which has, 10 <laughs> songs, so, um, <laughs> Okay. For very interesting or diverse podcast. So I'll leave that to you and JPT to talk about.
0: No Beverly Hills on your top 10 then, huh? <laughs> no. no.
1: <laughs> there are songs they like, I like after this album, but these are my favorite, hands down. So uh, I love that you picked it. And uh, I know we're going to talk about it later, but I, I did predict that you would pick this. I knew there was no doubt this was going to be on your list. I wouldn't yep. have been surprised if it was number one, but uh, yeah.
0: It almost was. It almost yeah.
1: was, man. Yeah. Let let me uh, dive into my number two pick, and uh, so uh, this next album uh, on my list was released during our first semester at Moorhead State University, so you and I were freshmen in college Mm. together there, and it quickly became the soundtrack for my near weekly trips between Moorhead and Jackson over the next four years and because it was released that year it means it's it's the youngest on my list at least because it was released just just a month and a half before the end of 1999 and the advent of uh the dreaded y2k i'm glad we survived i'm glad this album survived (laughs) because it's been a lot of fun for me to listen to over the years and that album is there's nothing left to lose by the foo fighters and so uh i love this album man and uh I'm going to say uh, in my defense of this album that Dave Grohl regularly refers to it as his favorite Foo Fighters album. And that's for a number of reasons. And and I, I recommend his memoir. I know Jesus. you've read it. Yeah. Uh, it's really good, but he, he talks about this album and how um, it's the first album that featured Taylor Hawkins it is. On, on drums. And so prior to that, he had played uh, most of those parts, uh, drum parts on, on the recordings. And so uh, this album saw he and Nate Mendel and uh, taylor hawkins bringing together their their shared and their individual uh influences and so the music moved beyond really that grunge and and punk vibe that was so prevalent on uh the self-titled album and the color and the shape and and exemplified more of the influence of uh 70s am radio singer songwriter stuff and the more uh i would say just soaring kind of guitar riffage and and atmospheric stuff that was influences from the sixties as well for those guys. And, uh, so it just became more like a Foo Fighters album. here's a picture of three guys creating music together with their, with their varied, varied, uh, preferences for music. Um, and it was recorded in a basement in a house in Virginia yep. for very little money. And yet here we are talking about it all these years later. And it's on, on my list is my number two, uh, favorite album. Uh, Absolutely. Favorite, 90s alternative album and so it's uh yeah man it's it's just so it's so amazing it won the grammy for best rock album in in 2001 and, and dave Grohl's like he said he, he's talked about how he was doing his acceptance speech or whatever and looking out at all these fancy people in their tuxedos and and expensive gowns and just realizing like hey this is probably the only album that's getting an award today that was recorded in a basement for, for free <laughs> and so uh, yep. there's just something really cool
0: about that yeah, what do you I love this album, man, and uh, I I really wanted to have the Foo Fighters on my list, and I actually went back and forth between this and the Color and Shape. It does have my personal favorite Foo Fighters song on it, which is Next Year, uh, and I think that was a the theme song for a show that you and I enjoyed.
1: Oh yeah,
0: uh, that's kind of been lost in the ethers, called Ed. Uh, I don't think it's actually even available to stream anywhere. You almost have to like hunt down a bootleg copy of it. I mean, in this uh, day and age, when there's like a thousand different streaming services, you can't watch Ed. So I don't know what's up with that.
1: You can you can find episodes on YouTube that are very yeah. poorly digitized, yeah. and I do not do not recommend it. But yes, it was the theme song for most of the career of that show. Though they switched, I think it was in season two, they switched it to uh, Clem Snide's "Moment in the Sun," which uh-huh. is also a great song. Yeah, um, but yeah, so this this album too, Brian, for me, it it really reminds me. Um, yeah, it's a band that, that my younger brother Joel and I shared a, a love for. And it really reminds me of the time of my life where he was one of my best friends and we spent a lot of time together listening to music and doing doing all sorts of things. But this was an album that was often on. He and I would often like we didn't have tons of uh, extra money laying around to buy albums. So like we would kind of make an agreement. If you buy that one, I'll make a cassette copy of it for you. And if you buy this one, vice versa. And so I think he was the one who bought this album or got it for Christmas or something. So we coordinated our efforts to build a musical library between us. And uh, so this is uh, an album that for sure reminds me of him and those, those good days of my life being a, a young adult in college
0: and, really comparatively having much less cares <laughs> in the world so, man,
1: so. Let,
0: let me tell a real quick story about this album do you remember the cd version of it did y'all buy this cassette or cd uh
1: i think joel bought the cd and and burnt or recorded made a cassette for me because i didn't have a cd player in my car
0: do you remember it came with like a temporary tattoo i do that's yes nice. so two things i didn't buy this album i blackmailed and getting it for free uh, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, WJSN here, our local radio station. Uh, I had a buddy who I will not name, the intern for them. It's not you, by the way. <laughs> uh, um, and he let slip that they got all kinds of free CDs, but they never gave them away, and they had closets full of them and just kept them for themselves. So I said, "Man, that's not right." So I literally made a list and sent to the station manager and say, "Hey, I'm gonna let everybody in Breathitt County know that you." hoard these cds the record company sends you to give out if, if i don't give these if you don't give me these five cds and that was one of them <laughs> <laughs> but then i actually put the the tattoo on them my forearm and convinced that my mom that it was real and she flipped out on me <laughs> and i had to go scrub it off to convince her otherwise <laughs> but the, the, we will uh move on we each have one pick left and i think the elephant in the room is that we have not talked about Nirvana, and I don't know if we will. <laughs> That's true. That's uh, true. I'm going to let you go last to close the show because uh, you're going to actually pick a song, close the episode off your number one album, so I'll get right into my number one. Now, I mentioned earlier there were two bands that I knew I had to include, and I did mention earlier that my number one, I could have picked any of five albums really four albums though, to tell you. to be honest and my obviously my number one is by Pearl Jam uh probably if you hold a gun to my head I they're not my favorite band now but when they were I probably loved them more than I have loved any other band at any other given moment in my life just because they hit when I was coming of age man and even though you can't understand him some of the time uh Eddie vedder's words really spoke to me in my late teen and early adult years. uh those were some dark, dark times in my life, and some of those songs helped me through those times as corny as that sounds it's true mm-hmm. and you did guess correctly, my number one favorite alternative album from the nineteen nineties and my favorite Pearl jam album of all time is no code which is an album that when they were released, it was considered a a failure to be quite honest with you. And mm-hmm. even though it did sell almost 400,000 copies in its first week, but compared to their previous three albums, that was like, they all sold, if not a million close to, and sometimes more than a million copies in their first week, uh, starting with verses. And to be honest, if you really get into the history of Pearl Jam, had they not made this album, they may have broken up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they intentionally changed directions and kind of took a step back from their previous three albums. It sounds like it really does not sound like anything they had released up until this point. And uh, when I first heard it, uh, I really I didn't love it because I was used to Vitology Versus and Ten but the more I dug into it and the more I explored it, the more and more I loved it. I love every song on it. Even mankind in which, which stone sings, (laughs) uh, red mosquito off he goes in my tree. Hell, hell. Sometimes my all time favorite pro jam song smile. Uh, I'm in the minority there. I, I, I'm willing to bet casual listeners don't even know that song. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it's just one that I've always loved. And, uh, Pearl Jam is a band I've seen live multiple times. You and I have not necessarily seen them live together, meaning we've stood next to each other, mm-hmm. but we have been to one or two shows at the same time, just yep. not, not in the same seats. Uh, and they, they always, always put on a great live show. They switch their set list up every night. Uh, a lot of bands play the exact same 20 songs in the same exact order every night. So if you've seen one show, you've seen them all, but you never know what you're going to get when you go see Pearl Jam live. And if anybody's listening has never seen them live, I highly recommend you do so if you ever get the chance. I know this is a band that you love dearly, Chase. Uh, So do you have anything to add particularly about this album or the band at all?
1: Oh man. Uh, Yeah. Where to begin? Um, I said earlier that there were a lot of albums that it felt weird not to put them on my list because of how important they were to me back in the day, back in the 90s when this music was coming out and this is one of those bands that was probably my first ever favorite band. My first ever concert, at least as I count it, was seeing them on the Yield Tour in September of 1998 down in Knoxville, Tennessee. Me and a handful of buddies rode with our dads down to uh, Thompson Bowling Arena to see them play. I had third row third row seats right mm. from Mike McCready's Marshall Amp. You know, for a first concert experience, it's hard
0: It's hard to beat that. I yeah. don't know how you even went to another concert after that, man. I mean, <laughs> for I your first mean, concert, third row in front of Mike McCready. Yeah. You know, what? how old were you at the time? 17, 18?
1: Um, I was... 17 just yeah before. i mean come on man yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah i i was i mean i was blown i was blown away i mean uh it was it was such a good experience and probably has played a role in me staying interested and connected to music all this all this time since and so um so yeah i will give the spoiler that that pearl gym didn't make my my top five i started expecting
0: that a minute ago when you got to your number two because i have a strong suspicion on what your number one's gonna be yeah, yeah yeah you're not gonna be surprised there, but
1: man this <laughs> this band has been important to both of us. I know we were both at the two thousand three show at Rupp arena um that's probably the only one maybe that we we saw together um I think
0: I, it is you didn't see them at Riverbend
1: on the binaural tour, did you? I did not I did yeah. not um I had tickets to a show and oh where was it? yeah, it was in River Bend, and that got cancelled and i I think they did a makeup show and I was unable to go but um yeah, I I recently well recently, 2019, I guess that's three <laughs> years ago now, uh, I had the opportunity to visit Seattle. Yes, uh, did a lot of uh, grunge tourism and
0: you made a pilgrimage.
1: Of, <laughs> I made a pilgrimage. I did. I went to I went to the off ramp, uh, which I don't even remember what it's called now, but it used to be called the off ramp where Pearl Jam played their first show under the name Mookie Blaylock, and I, I found their old rehearsal space and places they recorded albums. I toured London Bridge Studios. Uh, but one of my favorite experiences with the Museum of Pop Culture, and they had a whole um, exhibit devoted to Pearl Jam. And uh, Brian, I remember standing in front of this wall where they have all the T-shirts that the band has released over the years. So it's a huge wall, tour shirts, album shirts, all this kind of stuff. And just looking and remembering all my friends you know, that I saw when I looked at those T-shirts. And I, I remember seeing the orange one with the black and white circle on it. Uh, that I remember you wearing quite often. And so yes. I, stood and, I stood there and wept in <laughs> just because of all the feelings and the yes, nostalgia. and it was, it was such a good experience. Um, so, and, and yeah, I'm talking about Pearl Jam more than I am the album, but uh, the album is great. I, I think it was the first Pearl Jam album that I owned and I got it on mm. cassette at some kind of a Christmas gift exchange at school. Uh, I don't remember how that happened, but I ended up walking away with that, with that cassette and, uh, yeah, like I'd love for you to talk a little bit about just the packaging
0: and how that. Yeah, Yes, absolutely. So when it came out, they actually had Polaroids uh, in with the CD. And if you buy the re-release uh, on vinyl that they released two years ago, you get those same Polaroids still today. So it's really cool, but they were different Polaroids. You didn't get the same ones. It's almost like a pack of baseball cards. So people were out behind multiple copies of this album trying to collect all the different various polaroids that were included in it which is crazy because nobody even buys physical albums anymore really uh so those folks that you know or that are our kids age who only really listen to music digitally yeah we were buying multiple copies of the same album in the 90s hoping to find polaroids (laughs) Mm -hmm. which which is uh pictures for those that don't know and (laughs) Chase, we have about 10 minutes left, and I want to say something real quick about Pearl Jam before I turn it over to you to talk about your number one in the close of South, brother. People that buy tickets now, they bitch and complain about the service fees. Y'all, Pearl Jam told us back when they released this album almost 30 years ago now about Ticketmaster, and y'all didn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> they literally went to Congress and testified, and y'all didn't listen, and that's where we are now, man, paying... Um, yep paying as much in a convenience fee as we pretty much do the actual ticket. And there is nothing convenient about that for you or I. But I digress, Chase. Well, I paying... really,
1: for the record, the last time I bought Pearl Jam tickets, they were only
0: available through Ticketmaster. So. <laughs> well, they did try to fight the power and tour supporting this album in non-ticket master venues, and it was a disaster. But yeah. we don't have time to get into all that. I want to thank you before you get into your number one album. You've been a great guest. More importantly, you're a great friend, one of my best friends, and I've loved the build up and the conversation we've had leading up to today, as well as the conversation we've had so far today, and I'm going to turn it over to you to talk about your favorite alternative album of the 1990s.
1: Yeah. So this is an album that um, is a vast collection of songs uh, that have a lot of personal significance to me. Is it a double album? It is a double album. So lots of great songs, fantastic songs, but just I pick it as a favorite, not because of the personal sentimentality with it, but just because of the work it is from an objective standpoint of diversity of genre and emotional range. It's just, it's just for me, it's so impressive as a work of art and a great sign to how prolific this band was in its heyday and this album is of course melancholy and the infinite sadness by the smashing pumpkins released october 25th 1995 on virgin Records. so it had its birthday uh not too long ago just a couple days ago
0: and so 20 27 years man yeah
1: 20 27 years old um and just oh gosh it's it's 28 songs that None of them are skippable, in my opinion. It's a two-disc set. You have songs that are very clearly uh, heavy metal influence. You have songs that are ballad. You have some that have almost an electronica feeling to them, some that are very 80s goth-sounding, and uh, many that are acoustic-driven. So it's just the range of this band to make great songs with different instrumentation, different styles, it's just an amazing, amazing feat. And let's just think about some of the songs that are released off this album. And again, this is another album that's been on our list whose songs still get played on the Absolutely. radio today. Absolutely. Uh, and, and you know, wh- one of probably the most famous songs from this album is Bullet With but- Butterfly Wings. And uh, that's the song that I, f- I heard about it before I ever heard it. I would hear people at school singing about I'm still just a rat in the cage, you know, yep. just walking down the hallway at school. And I'm like, Oh, that sounds weird. And, and I remember one time I was <laughs> driving from, uh, riding with my mom and we were, I was surfing the radio in the car and picked up a station from Lexington, which wasn't always easy to do. And oh. I remember hearing that chorus, despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in the cage. And that's kind of what started hooking me on this band. It got me even more interested in them. And so that was a hit song. You had zero that came out from that. Um, you know, the list The list goes on and on of the songs that are amazing. 33, 1979, uh, Tonight, Tonight. And mm-hmm. ah, I, I'm just thinking now, right about like just the, the orchestral and string arrangements on some of these songs. And, oh, the, and laying that next to some of the other styles that are on the album, it's, it's just so fascinating. And yet, it is a complete work that doesn't feel weird to listen to. it. It flows well together. So the sequencing of the tracks is is worthy of honor in and of itself
0: and so love 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 just uh, yeah
1: can't can't get enough of it
0: absolutely and you mentioned it was a double album and it's one of the few double albums to me that is a truly great double album i mean most double albums have one good album in them somewhere you just have to try Mm -hmm. to dig it out but this is the exception to that rule in my opinion
1: oh yeah and And then so they released a box set of all the the, singles they had on the airplane
0: what was it, what was it called the airplane the airplane flies high yeah. yeah yeah and it was it came in like a little like swirly like black and white uh old school like record holder if i best i remember
1: oh yeah yeah it was yeah. It, it, i mean they had they were masters of of uh of the packaging of albums as well much like pearl jam was and so always admired that about this band but also uh on that box set On one of those discs, there's a song called Pistachio Medley, Mm. which is a medley of pieces of songs that didn't make this album. Yeah, And that is 20 plus minutes long of snippets of songs that sound great, but weren't, and they weren't even good enough to make it on this album. So just the number of things that they were writing and producing is amazing. I also want to say on this album that Billy Corgan is often, well, he he is kind of narcissistic and megalomaniac and that sounds really judgmental and I'm sorry. And, uh, but he, he gave up the mic and let some of his other band members sing lead on some of these songs. So say what you want about this guy, but on, I would say their, their piece de resistance, uh, he, he shared the spotlight. And so, uh, it's part of what makes this album so great. And I love it forever. And if I had to pick one song to play from it, it would be the song muzzle, which is not a big hit, uh, for them, but, uh, just lyrically, contains such a a great sentiment opening line i fear that i am ordinary just like everyone to lie here and die among the sorrows and drift among days. and then Uh, goes on to talk about love and being you know the redemptive power of love and uh what he feels you know in love and how that yeah it's just a great angsty teen song that really spoke uh spoke to me in the 90s it
0: still speaks to me and and we'll play that here just in a minute and we have about probably two minutes left. Uh, I want to thank you once again for coming on. Real quick, we've made predictions off air. You correctly picked four of my albums. The only one you missed out on was Melancholy, and the only reason why I didn't pick that, I knew that you would. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I think that I was correct on three yours, Melancholy, Radiohead, and Counting Crows. I missed Versus and Allison Chains Unplugged. Mm-hmm. and uh, of course
1: those albums were in my long list and so uh Alice in the Chains,
0: Unplugged and
1: Pearl Jam's Versus
0: would, would be probably on a top 20 list if yes and, and let's just get this uh, out of the way real quick because I know when people listen to this uh the one thing they're going to be mad about more than any other is there's no Nirvana at all man mm-hmm. on either of our lists uh, had I picked a Nirvana album it actually would have been Unplugged yeah, which I'll I yeah, Nirvana,
1: uh, much respect for them. I appreciate them. I do listen to them. I like playing their songs, uh, but were never in the top echelon for me. I just didn't connect with their music the way I did with Same them. here. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm equally sad that I didn't include Soundgarden, which is a very important band to me from that era. Yep. Uh, it would have been between Bad Motor Figure and Super Unknown, yep. probably, if I was picking an album from them. Uh, no stone tip of pilots on this list. The album purple was the first CD that I ever owned. I got it for Christmas one year. So very important album to me. Um, and then lives throwing copper was also one that I hated not to include. That was the first CD I ever bought with my own money, walked into a Sam Goody or something in the mall and, uh, came home with that somewhere in the mid nineties. So, um, Lots of good options, but uh, I feel good about our list. And if you ask me tomorrow, quite honestly, I may have a different list. <laughs> but, uh,
0: yeah, we may very well. But now I would I would venture to say, if you make this list 100 times, Melancholy is going to be on there 100th, old man. Yeah, that was uh, the one album I knew for sure you'd pick. Yeah. Uh, we have about a minute left. Thank you once again, Chase. Uh, I think we have built a fantastic list. And if I'm not mistaken, we only had one album in cover, and that was Weezer. And I can guarantee you, had we made this list 20 years ago, uh, it would not have made either of our list at all, probably. Yep. <laughs> yep. No, I know it would not for me. So. It it's may fun. have made mine, but probably not. Probably not.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to
0: uh, go ahead and introduce this song that we're going to be playing to close the show today, my friend. Uh, thanks again for joining me. It's been a blast. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. And what's the, what song do you want us to close? Oh, out we're
1: with? gonna we're gonna hear "Muzzle" from "Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness." There
0: you go. Thanks again, Chase. <laughs> show with Brian Combs is brought to you by Thatcher Barbecue Company and is written, produced and recorded by me, Brian Combs you can look me up on social media on Twitter at that one show BC on Instagram at that one show with Brian Combs on Facebook at that one show podcast and on Patreon at that one show. So go follow us along on any of those sites and please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, whichever you prefer. And finally, if you are enjoying this show, I ask from the bottom of my heart that you recommend it to at least one other person with whom you feel would enjoy it as well. Until next time, this has been That One Show with Brian Combs.